Welcome to the Fifth Estate. They bring you the story. We bring you the truth. The Fifth Estate is the news behind the headlines, holding those in power in check. And now, with the real story, here's Cameron Blewett. everyone thank you for joining me here on this another episode of the fifth estate podcast and this episode we are lucky enough to have greg cheeseman here who's running as the uh, freedom party candidate for the legislative council region of the the new region of metro northeast uh, hello greg hi cam how are you going good how are you that's all right. That's all right. Very, very, very pleased. We're talking over each other, but that's yeah. okay. Um, yeah, very thrilled to be here. Thank you for inviting me on, and hello to all your listeners. Okay, and well, seeing as um, you know, we're, we're, I'll try not to talk over you for a while. But uh, who are you, and what are you doing? Okay, who am I? I'm a very, very concerned Victorian who is standing up for all other Victorians, all 6.7 or so million of us who have been treated appallingly by the current government. We've been abused, gaslit, in some cases attacked uh, by the very people that should be looking after our best interests. So I'm standing up against uh, what I believe is an authoritarian regime that is uh, dishonest, there's elements of corruption throughout it. They've uh, misappropriated and mismanaged our money. And I want to bring an end to that. I want to bring about uh, integrity to the government. I want to have an upper house that is the true house of review that will objectively analyse any bill that comes from the lower house and pass it or not on its merits. That's essentially who I am. I'm also a, a former business owner who had his business destroyed by multiple lockdowns. Uh, we were told to pivot after the first one, which I did. My business pivoted and was completely killed off by the second lockdown. So therefore, I will never run another business in the state of Victoria whilst the government can shut me down. I believe that was a total overreaction to the risks and certainly once we started seeing data coming out as to who was affected, not only getting sick but dying, um, the government didn't correct its ways. In fact, it doubled down. So it became more about ideology than health measures. And that's, that's something that's really got to be addressed is how do we manage problems, not just pandemics, but how do we actually manage challenges moving forward. We, we've got a government that doesn't consult where it needs to, and consulting is really the best way to find an outcome because then you get a variety of views and if you've got at what you do and you'd hope the government is, you'd be able to weigh up what the issues are, where the problems are and the the benefits as well, and I believe had this government actually consulted even widely or, or even with more than just a couple of their mates around the table after they suspended Parliament, uh, we wouldn't have had the, the terrible outcomes that we've had. So that's, that's in, a, in a nutshell me, 
Um, I'm all about integrity and values, and I stand by those. Okay. Now, you've thrown that magic I word out. Um, we've we've seen a, a big um, hoo-ha over the last couple of days about that. Um, so, you know, I understand that, that you guys haven't done any deals with um, – um, do I call him Voldemort? Do I call him the person who shouldn't be named or whatever? Anyway, um, that that actually I won't use Dan Andrews. I won't say that person um, with with Glenn Jury. Uh, you know, for for the preference deals and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, you you, you talk like that and you say like that, but. We've had a look over the last couple of years, and I don't think there's been any integrity in the upper house at all. Uh, and you know the um, expose that that's come out, which having them expose something sort of leads to question that you know the, the whistle blows integrity as well because they've led him along. But um, how do how do we clean up the upper house? Well, for starters, we've got to get rid of group voting because that is the mechanism in which corrupts the voting system. Really what should happen is the VEC needs to have a good look at what they're administering. They need to answer the question whether or not this is still a, in light of this video of of Glenn Drury that was leaked, uh, is it still a free and fair election? And I think that's a very big question that needs to be answered. Can we as Victorians go to the polls confident that this is all being conducted honestly? It needs to be answered because if it's not, then not only is this an illegitimate election, then so are a number of previous elections. We've got a situation where by... Glenn Drury's own admission, parties have been set up to deceive Victorian voters, which I think is outrageous. And mm. the one that he highlights, well, Health Australia, I think, was one that he highlights. And another one was the Restore Democracy Sackdown Andrews party. Yeah. Now, I, I made mention of that uh, about a week ago on the Freedom Party's uh, High Noon at Noble live stream that we do, and I I asked the question, wouldn't you think that the Restore Democracy Sackdown Andrews Party would want to get in contact with the guy that started the hashtag Sackdown Andrews? That would be a reasonable assumption, you'd think, Mm. but I haven't had one call at all. And if anyone knows me and they they know my history, they know I've been politically active for a number of years. And if they know that I started Sackdown Andrews as the hashtag, then became the chant of rallies and took over the internet, wouldn't you think you'd want to get that guy on board? Mm. Or at least have a conversation with them. So... There's questions over that, and with, with Mr. Jury uh, making these claims that he or his team or colleagues, whatever referred to as, set it up to deceive voters. Um, just on that ground alone, I think we've we've really got a question whether this election can actually go ahead. 
Because if you're having parties that are stating in their name they are one thing or giving the impression that they are standing for one thing and their preferences flow in a completely different direction, then it's no longer a free and fair election. It's a completely dishonest one. Mm. But that's that, I would say, that is the question that I put to the VEC, to the government as well, and to fair-minded Victorians. Is this still, in light of the revelations of this week with the leaked video, is this still a free and fair election? Needs to be answered and it needs to be answered before Friday night. Yeah, and I mean, and that, that comes down to, you know, the, the other thing as well is that, I mean, if, if it's come out that that party is there set up to, you know, to, to funnel into Dan Andrews, the VEC's failed their job. Because their, you know, their whole bullshit that they go through for registering parties is to make sure that it's not part of another one, that it's um, uh, governed by members and, and all that sort of crap. So we're, they've failed as well. And so, I mean, it, it comes down to that. The question is, how can we trust anything that they've done? Well, that, that's exactly the question that we're asking. You know, how do we know in light of these revelations and this is the man himself saying, we've done this, or I've done this, mm. and, and claiming he's um, responsible for more electoral reform in this country than anybody else. So big claims. These mm. are very big claims. Whether they are true or not, I don't know. I don't know whether these are claims to elevate his own ego. I don't know. I don't know the guy. But... What I do know is it casts a big shadow and it raises big questions that need to be answered. And, I mean, at even at that, that point, uh, you know, what about the people that voted early before this came out? That could have changed their vote when this information came out. Yet, you know, all these people that have gone pre-polling and prior to all this I would have been a supporter of pre-polling, but I'm getting to the point now there just needs to be one day. Just cut the pre-polling, cut the postal votes. I've said for many, many years now that pre-polling is very risky whilst parties are still releasing policy. Mm. Now, parties are still releasing policy right up to election day. And my concern is for the voter, the Victorian voter, that they may head off in one direction and vote early on in early voting to get it out the way, as a lot of people do. And then a policy is released that they don't agree with. What do you do then? Yeah. You can't call back your vote. Yep. So so it is very risky, and, and I guess it is voter beware that these things may happen. Mm. Now, okay, here's, here's a, a, a doozy one for you. So um, it, it just came into me, so... Um, We've seen, and this goes in line with that that voter beware thing. Is that you know, obviously we're aware of the problems with the ambulance system and ramping and um, continual code ambers and code reds and, and whatever other colours that they want to use for that. I think there was a brown in there somewhere yeah. as well. Um, we've yeah. had um, the ambulance union beside um, Supreme Leader Andrews and his wife uh, comes out and says at the last or when there was a change of government that the Liberal Party was the virus uh, and that he doesn't want the Liberal Party near his, anywhere near his members. Um, it, it, with that, so let's say, you know, things, 
you know, the, the winds are favourable and all that sort of stuff and the Liberal Party is able to form uh, a government, uh, you know, by whatever margin in the lower house. Uh, I think it stands to reason that whoever does form government is going to face a hostile uh, upper house. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Would you be pushing for unions to go or would you just be accepting it or, or what? what's that? And Or, you know, would you be aiming for, um, let's say, um, better, better in- integrity controls, or better, um, you know, a, a further uh, fit and proper person test. Let's call it that, because we have that for everything that you can think of that the Labor Party's put in forward. There's got to be a fit and proper person test for this, that, and everything else. So why shouldn't union officials have it? Why shouldn't unions have it if they're pushing a member's position? I think what we need to see first and foremost, is a change of language and a change of behaviour. And we've seen this guy, I was going to call him the Premier, but it's a word that I don't believe that he deserves, such as my dislike and distrust for the man based on his actions. He's used the language of division for his entire term, but it's ramped up because it's been very easy to achieve the outcome that he wanted over, let's call them the COVID years, particularly mm. during lockdown, of dividing people. Now, we we saw uh, claims that it was a pandemic of the unvaccinated at one point. If you weren't vaccinated twice, multiple times, you... Um, you were the cause of other people getting it. You might cause somebody's grandmother to die, which there's no scientific evidence for that at all because there's, there's nothing that prevents transmission in these vaccines at all. Mm. So it, it was just language of division, sitting people against one against the other. If your neighbours have got people around, dob them in, that sort of thing. I'm very, very uncomfortable with that sort of language. And we, and we see that seeping in now into the election campaign, dividing people again, where he's calling certain groups Nazis and racists, which is very, very strong language, which in Andrew's speak really just says people who don't agree with him. So if you don't agree with Daniel Andrews or the Labor Party at large, then you are something very, very extreme and something very unpleasant to be called. So the first thing to do is have a change of language in the parliament and outside of the parliament. And whoever forms this next government needs to drive that. And if we see less of that from our elected representatives, then when those others pull that out, that will become so strange and unwelcome that they will be ostracised. That's my hope, at least. Before we go for regulation, let's go for self-respect and respect of others, and we can teach that by our actions. Okay, I mean... Understand, you know, individuals can do that and we should be doing that. Um, for various leaders to be doing that, I, is it something that we're going to have to take the big bash broom to a lot of the public service? 
because we've seen Slugger do that. We've seen the um, the, the train controller do that. Uh, who's now? Sorry, he's no longer the train controller. What is he? The um, minister for the Commonwealth Games or something? Oh, sorry, CEO of the Commonwealth Games thing. I mean, um, you know, they've done that. So, I mean, I I, I think that's well, going to be a hard task. It, it, yes, you're right. And, and nothing worthwhile is easy, as the old cliche goes. But if we start regulating every little thing, all we do is continue the work that's been done over the last few years, don't we? Mm. I, I would say we'd need, we'd need less regulation rather than more. Oh, I totally agree with that. But education, um, education of how do you conduct yourself? I would be expecting of our bureaucrats a level of professionalism that seems to have disappeared. Yeah. And I think the public demand that. They mm. really should be demanding more of these people and not copying it, not saying, yes, let's go with that. I mean, some of the things that people who really just wanted to be left alone to live their life manage risks for themselves, some of the things they were called it was just abuse. Uh, you, Absolute abuse. You won't get any um, pushback from me on that one. Um, no, I, you know. I don't get much pushback from many people, actually, apart from those on the hard left about that. But to, to say we need to have laws against that, where does it stop? How many more laws do we need? How much more regulation do we need? You can say this, you can't say that. Um, sometimes, sometimes that's not the role of government. Sometimes that's the role of society and encouraging and teaching people. They often say, you teach people how to treat you. Mm. Well, all right, okay. Instead of having it written in legislation of, oh, you, you can and can't say this, which I'm very uncomfortable with, how about we just encourage people to speak in a manner that is professional? If we start seeing it inside the parliament and we start demanding that from our bureaucrats and our politicians, then perhaps we could. And I know it's a, it's a big dream of mine. We might actually see a change in behaviour and get away from this disgusting abuse that we've seen. Because what's, what's okay to one person may not be to another. So who writes these laws and how far do we want to take them well, regarding the bureaucracy... When, when I, really, it's quite simple to be a, a decent human being. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say you'd need, you know, regulation or legislation for that, for the bureaucracy. Just p push back on the code of conduct um, and, and, you know, the way that they deal with people themselves. And, you know, that you know that, that implies across the board. And, I mean, we'd have Slugger. I mean, I think Slugger's breached the, the principles of the Public Health and Wellbeing Act right from the start. Um, yep. he's, he's behaved in a manner that, that contravenes that act. Uh, and, you know, it, it's going to be a matter of time before um, either a tribunal or a court finds in favour of that um, for that one. So, but, yeah, I, I think it comes back down to that. And, I mean, as for Parliament, we'd need a more engaged um, electorate. And I think with my thoughts are, and, and you know, just based on the, the people that I talk to around the place, they're becoming disillusioned and, and disenfranchised by the whole system. So, um, I, 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 I'm not looking forward to where it's going to go. 
And this is where we need people in the parliament that will act differently. Mm. People who are professionals and not not these career politicians who have never had a real job in their life, have never run a business, have never had any experience other than, let's call it, the cut and thrust of the political arena. And that's all they know. Mm. So all that will do with those people will intensify this appalling behaviour. If you bring professionals in who are used to behaving in a professional manner, speaking in a professional manner and consulting before decisions are made, you're going to get a better parliament. You'll have a parliament that will initially be chalk and cheese. Mm. It'll be light and dark. You'll have the professionals on one side and the rabble on the other. Now, if that's what society wants, if they are gravitating towards the rabble and the abusers, then in a democracy, that's what you should have. And I hope that's not the case. My belief is decent human beings will look at the two and say, you know what? I like the professional guys, collective term, mm. uh, over the rabble. Mm. I don't like the ones who gaslight and abuse and scream at us, tell us that everything's our fault. I like the guys that actually have sensible answers, sensible approaches. Mm. They're measured. They take their time to come to a conclusion that is right instead of making snap decisions that waste money and hurts people. Mm. Okay. Um, now, moving on to, on to something else now, a bit of a soapbox issue for me um, and when I spoke to Andrew uh, the other day, we had a bit of a, a good discussion on that one. Um, that was Andrew Philippopoulos yes. from the Freedom Party. Yes. Right. Um, my apologies. Um, I just kept thinking Philippoussis and I made that mistake at the start. When I spoke to him off air, I got his surname right and then as soon as the microphone came on, all I could think of was Philippoussis because of, you know, the scud was running around, you know, in my formative years. Uh, actually, no, uh, later on in life, it was my formative years, but he was the, the did, filly. Did you, did you manage to ask Andrew how his tennis game is? No, no, I, I got too embarrassed about that one. I just changed the subject <laughs> and moved right along um, onto that one. Um, is he good at tennis? I hear he's a gun. I don't know that for sure, but oh. uh, that's the rumour that I'm spreading about him for okay. sure. Okay, all right. I'll have to have a chat to him about that one. Um, my thing, uh, gender transition for minors. Now, that is a, a major soapbox issue for me. Uh, I think that um, both from a parental point of view, from an anarchistic point of view, and from a, um, you know, continuing society and not killing uh, culture, that we need to get away from this stuff. We need to stop this crap going in schools. Um, is there anything more that you can add to it? Oh, look, it's it's very, very concerning, and I know you had a a very in-depth conversation with Andrew Philippopoulos uh, the other day about this. Uh, it all comes back to the mature minors legislation, and for those who aren't familiar, that's the legislation that was enacted in 2014 by the Andrews government that takes a parent's right away from knowing what's going on with their child and being involved in decision-making uh, for particularly medical treatment. And this is where gender transition does come into it. It forms a part of it. But it, it's broader than that. 
it it not only has to do with gender transition and a someone as low on the, the social scale as a teacher, and I'm not having a crack at teachers by any means, but they are not somebody who's expert in, in mental health or high up in the wellbeing scale. They, they are educators, and we hope most of them do a very, very good job of that. But you can have a doctor, a teacher, a principal, make decisions for what is right for your child, and you're not involved. And in fact, you don't get to know about it. There are, there are families that talk to me daily who have no idea where their child lives. Mm. They've been encouraged to move out of home. A teenage child has been encouraged to move out of home, to go on Centrelink, to not be at school, and to live in a, a homeless refuge. And poor families have no... And, and these, are, these are not abusive families at all. These are families who care for and, and adore their children, would do anything for them. But for whatever reason, this, this child has had some, some issues that haven't been treated in a way that I believe most level-headed normal people would expect that they'd be treated. And, uh, and instead, the child has been encouraged to leave home and go on the dole and cut their family off. And the poor, devastated parents have no right to know where their child is, how they are, and to be involved in any any treatment that the child may need. There's other instances where children have uh, made mistakes. They've been students of uh, doing an accountancy course, and for for fun, they've jumped on the ATO website and filled out a tax return, thinking it's just a a dummy tax return, and the first thing the parents know about it is they've got a $10,000 tax bill. Mm. But here's the kicker, Cam. When they ring the tax office and say, what's all this about? Because it's addressed to the parent or guardian of the child's name. The tax department says, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you because you're not authorised to talk on behalf of your child. So it, it's not just about gender transition. That's the extreme end. And it's my understanding it's not only the extreme end, but it caters for very few people. There are broader issues that happen a long way before we get to gender transition. The parents are being cut out of their child's life. And this is all about the mature minors legislation. And we, we are adamant that this has got to go because it does not serve the interests of the children, it does not help the parents, and it doesn't benefit society at all. It is a destructive piece of legislation, which may have been well-meaning when it was originally drafted, but the unintended consequences of it, and I am giving it the benefit of the doubt by saying that, the unintended consequences or the way it's used... In, in practice, are absolutely devastating and they lead to poor outcomes for families and children. What, what will be the long-term effects of these horrible legislations? We, we don't know. We can only imagine. But they won't bring about 
spectacular, high-performing people because they've been pulled through the homeless system and and told your parents are the enemy. I I know of a mother who is a very caring woman. You know, she's a mother of a couple of kids, adores her kids, would do anything for them, always there for them. She was told that she was a terrible mother because that's what the child believed. Now, this is this is a system in collapse. It is legislation that is wrong. It's more about dividing families and society. But that's a plan. Rather than saying the best place for the child in most instances is in the home. Where the, where there are one of those instances where the child can't be in the home because that isn't the best place for them. There are other laws and other legislation that sits around that. It doesn't need to rely on the mature minors legislation. So that can go and still there'll be adequate protection for children in place. Yeah, but, I mean, okay, first of all, you, you're giving the, the government um, too much credit here. Uh, I don't think it was ever well-intentioned. It was serving a goal, and that goal is for the destruction of the family unit, which leads to the destruction of society, which leads to the state being the only caregiver that these um, products of the society will accept um, and, and, you know, will we'll go and look for. And we've seen that through the, the pandemic over the last couple of years. Um, every time something happened, the people turn uh, allegedly the people turn around and said, you know, govern us harder, lock us down, make make us do this. So, um, you're talking about the the mature minor thing. It, it, I think it ties into the whole uh, the the gay conversion bill uh, that went through and changed different bits of legislation. I mean, there's no lower age limit on that, and yet you'll find a lot of the uh, authoritarian left who have pushed that want the criminal age lifted to, I think, 14. Uh, now, my view, fully accept that. I think it should be lifted up to maybe 16, 17, uh, depending on a, an assessment of the individual in question. Um, for that, though, you know, it, it's the thing that that legislation has made it for, in all, you know, essences, um, for all intents and purposes, a, a criminal offence to pray for your child if your child turns around and says that they want to be something different. So if you've got well, an eight-year-old that bigger, comes home... The bigger problem than that, Cam, if I could just jump in at that yeah. point, with the gay conversion bill, it was a bill that, in my view, didn't need to be uh, brought into existence. And, and I could, look, I could be completely wrong here. I'm happy to be corrected. But my understanding is gay conversion therapy was incredibly rare, if ever enacted, in modern Victoria. Now, if someone could come up with some instances and say, well, here's a number of people that it has been enacted on, okay, I may, I may form a different view on that. But, but my there, there'd be other legislation that covers that. Correct. Correct. The, the biggest problem with this bill is that if you are questioning your sexuality and you go and seek counsel from your parents, a priest, member of the clergy, a teacher, whoever, and they counsel you as 
as you have requested, they can go to jail for 10 years. Yep. All they now, can do is affirm it. They can't challenge or anything. They can't test. So here we have a piece of legislation that is preventing somebody merely asking for help. Help me make sense of this. Because not everybody knows everything from the start. Otherwise, there'd be no learning. So if someone's wondering whether they're one way or another or something else that we haven't even come up with a term for yet, and they go and seek counsel from anybody, that person's now running a risk. They're breaking the law and running the risk of going to jail for 10 years. Whose interests are being served by that? I would argue that's not in the interest of the child because they're seeking help, they're seeking clarification, and perhaps all they need is to be able to speak out loud their thoughts to help them organise them and sort out where they're heading in life. But to criminalise that, that's incredibly dangerous. And And I think it's wrong and it's got to go. And and that's the thing is that, you know, children go through phases um, and all kids do, everyone goes through phases. And it's, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, that that phase being affirmed, then, you know, history and, and all the evidence that's there says a majority of the children move out of that phase. And, and we're talking about children here. So this is the bit that, that really, um, you know, gets me fired up. I mean, as you, if you're an adult, what, what I really don't care what you do. Well, well, that's right. What concerns me is the rush. Mm. The rush to do it now. What? Why do we need to make those decisions right now? Now, I, I say this as a person who does not believe they, they were born in the wrong body. So I don't have an understanding of what it's like for these people. And I can only imagine for, for some that truly believe it, uh, it, it must be very difficult for them. But for those who are questioning, am I, am I not, I think that's a different thing altogether. But, but what does concern me is what is the rush, and it, and it is the radical left that is pushing this, what is the rush to get kids into these conversion therapies of turning girls into boys and boys into girls? Why? Why do we have to do it now? Why do we have to do it at 6 or 8 or 10 or 12 years of age? Why not? wait until they're of a legally mature age to make those decisions. No, I totally agree. And, I mean, um, you know, yeah, it it comes down to the thing is that instead of doing that, why haven't we got a society that supports and I'm not, you know, rather than affirms because support and is completely different to affirming what they are. Correct. um, You know, why... Isn't there the the system there, the, the family, the um, social groups, the the cultural groups, whatever you want to call them, that are there that will support these individuals who are going through this? And, um, you know, it, it comes back down to what I said. And, and my uh, until I can be shown otherwise, I that's what I believe is that it's all part of the, the plan to have the state as the one that is the primary caregiver of it. And um, every school council meeting that I go to, I'm starting to see that more and more and more. And, um, you know, whether it's confirmation bias or, or anything like that, it, it, it's still hard 
for me to to think otherwise that this isn't part of some you know long term plan um, for that. The, the worst thing a Victorian can do right now is read the legislation, particularly the mature minors legislation, the gay conversion bill. Uh, read that, and then go and read Karl Marx as the Communist mm. Manifesto. Mm. That that would be the worst combination of reading that you could do, because that would actually lead you down a path of exactly what you've suggested, that the state wants to control everything and pull apart the family. Now, I do put the challenge out there to anybody to find some evidence where that is not actually the case of what's going on, because certainly, from my perspective, that's what it looks like. And yes, I have read <laughs> those pieces of legislation in oh. the Communist Manifesto, and that's the conclusion that I've come to. And I mean, I mean, the, the last two years has, has been evidence of that. I mean, the ladies of the night were still allowed to, you know, um, ply their wares or, or whatever else, however you want to say it. Um, and yet your church was closed, uh, your gym was closed, and yet KFC and Hungry Jacks were allowed to stay open. Um, oh, and the bottle shops, don't yeah. worry, they were, they were deemed essential. Yeah, and the bottle uh, shops. Which is probably one of the worst things that you can do if you're in lockdown. Yep. Would be a trip to the bottle shop every day or, or however often you needed to go. But it's worse than that, Cam. What, what we now have in Victoria is legalised um, sex workers or prostitutes, being able to tout the business pretty much anywhere, being able to have, well, sex with their clients without protection, and then the ridiculous notion that if the sex worker becomes infected with a sexually transmitted infectional disease, whichever you want to call it, they can continue to work, yeah. therefore spreading that. Now, if all the lockdown were to protect us on a health basis, surely that should be the same. Yep. But here we have people who are encouraged to now spread potentially fatal diseases, but the government's okay with that. Which just shows you that it wasn't about health. And I, I just wish people would wake up to that um, you know, all the donut days, and yet I, I have stopped looking at what the daily count is for the, the flu uh, recipients and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean... Well, I, I think you're going to find that no one knows where to go and get a test now, even if they had a, had symptoms, if they could remember what the symptoms <clears throat> were. Yeah. Um, people I talk to don't, don't remember what the symptoms were because they stopped listening a long time ago. Uh, it was... Based on ideology, it didn't stack up to common sense. There are people who willingly went along with it because they bought into the fear of perhaps something bad will happen to me or someone that I know, and there was no critical thinking and there was no honesty from the government about it. Mm. I mean, to, to be able to say, if you take this vaccine, and, and I'm going to, before I go further... I'm not anti-vax. If you want to take it, knock yourself out. That's great. But don't force me or my family or anyone else, don't force them to take it to keep their job or to enter a shop. We, we're in a, in a ridiculous situation where you couldn't go into a shop 
unless you can show your papers. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. What have we become? Well, there's an F word that um, people don't like me using, but I think that for all intents and purposes, we have become that. And um, we just haven't gone as far as uh, certain other nations in history did. Uh, Though, uh, you know, I I don't think we're that far away from it. Um, I think that we're only a signature away from genocide. Um, And there's a. Here's the problem. Here's the problem that we have. If we go through this next week and we come out the other end of the 26th of November, being election day, and the, Andrew Go- the Andrews government is returned, sends a shiver down my spine, mm-hmm. but if that's the case, what do you honestly think will happen? Do you think that vaccine mandates will be scrubbed? No. Do you think there'll be no more lockdowns? Do you think there'll be no more, you better check in here so we know where you are? Or do you think that the Andrews government, Daniel Andrews, will feel vindicated and say, see, you did want this. You do want multiple injections that does harm some people, doesn't work in others, well, clearly doesn't work because we've still got what was the last count? Eight and a half thousand new cases today, and if we've got ninety-five percent fully vaccinated population, where are all these people coming from? Yeah, clearly doesn't stack up. You can bet your bottom dollar that if the Andrews government is returned, there will be more vaccine mandates. There will be more people losing their jobs because they've decided that's not right for them. But the government has said, no, you can't work unless you have a certificate. Oh, I I fully believe that, you know, if the regime is successful on November 26th, November 28th, he will declare another pandemic, Hmm. which he's entitled to under legislation. It doesn't have to be a pandemic here. It can be a pandemic anywhere he wants in the world, and he can do that. He'll make another pandemic declaration, and then all bets are off as to whether we have Christmas. And... You voted for it. Yep. Yep. And yeah, so, um, but yeah, anyway, um, we'll get onto that soapbox. Um, being mindful of the time and now, um, just in closing, why should we vote for you? Why should you vote for me? Yeah. All right. So that, that Party spin question. aside and, and, and everything like that, let's just get down to yeah. why should I give you my number one? All right. So your number one vote, is the most precious thing that you have this week, okay? That's going to determine who's going to make decisions on your behalf. You can you can put it anywhere you like on that paper. It's a big piece of paper. You can vote for someone who will stand up for you, who has a solid track record of pushing against a government who really lost the right to govern a very long time ago, in my view, who has campaigned against Daniel Andrews since the day he was elected Premier. And that was that was my commitment that I made to myself, to my family, and all Victorians, that on the 2014 campaign trail, when I saw Daniel Andrews take a busload of journalists to his father's farm because his father was, was unwell, and, and I don't begrudge him for going to see his, his 
unwell father. But what I found disgusting was he took a busload of journalists to his father's farm, then sat out the front of that farm and fake cried to get the sympathy vote and gain political points out of his father's misfortune. I found that disgusting. And I said, if this bloke ever gets voted in as Premier, I'll dedicate my life to getting rid of him. And I'm true to my word. That's exactly what I've done. Now, why should you vote for me? Well, I do stand by what I say. I stand by my values, and my values are unshakable. I will always consult. I don't know it all, but I will seek out those that do have the answers to the questions, and from that, I will evaluate my answer. I'm always available to my constituents. In fact, my business card, unlike most candidates, has my phone number on it. And it's not a campaign phone number. It's my phone number that I've had ever since we went digital mobile. And that's the one I'll keep beyond this campaign. That is my phone number. It's freely available. So if anyone's talking to me and they want that, there's my business card. They can contact me. I'm always available. I always consult. I'm fair-minded and I'm very, very passionate about Victoria, standing up for what is right for Victoria and protecting Victoria's interest above all else. I'm not here to be a career politician. I'm not in it for the money. If I could, I'd do it for free. Mm. In fact, everything that I've done in the last eight years, I've done for free. I haven't been paid to campaign. I do this out of my own pocket and my own passion. I know what's wrong in this state. It is Daniel Andrews and Labor. Mind you, if the other lot get in, they don't get a free ride either. The microscope will be on them to make sure they're held to account and they do the right thing. What we've got to be very careful of here is particularly in the upper house, that your vote goes exactly where you want it. So a vote for Freedom Party of Victoria, above the line, go one above the line, that comes to Freedom Party of Victoria. It stays with like-minded parties and then hits the Liberal Party and will most likely end there. Okay? Anyone who we've preference below the Liberal Party is dealing in corruption, and that's our understanding. Mm. They're all dealing with Glen Drury. And then we get down to Labor at number 16. And why that 16? Because below Labor are the parties who are even worse. I know it's hard to imagine, but there are parties who are even worse. So Fiona Patton and her Reason Party, they're oh, even worse yeah, than Labor. Absolutely. Right? And that's, that's another podcast that we yes. can do, Cam, on yep. why, why Fiona Patton and Reason are worse than Labor. Yep. We've got the Animal Justice Party, who are even worse than Labor. In fact, they're a sham. Yeah, don't get me started yeah, on that one. A CFMEU operative trying to be popular with cute fuzzy animals and taking Victorians as fools. And then we've got the worst of the lot, the traitor of Victoria, the bloke that said he would never vote for the pandemic bill. He said it on multiple occasions and after a few sneaky deals meetings with the Premier, Daniel Andrews, he turns around and votes for it. So he is the worst of the lot because he had an opportunity to do his job, stand up for Victorians, and he didn't. Mm. He betrayed 6.7 million Victorians 
when they were desperate, desperate for help. So we've put him absolute last. Now, if you vote for other so-called freedom parties, you don't know where, where their group voting ticket's going to send their vote. Well, there's a couple of them that have got him very high up. They've got him at number two and three. So you've got to be very careful about where your vote goes. If you're voting above the line, vote one for Freedom Party, and you know it's not going anywhere near Rod Barton, Andy Medic, Fiona Patton, Labor, Greens, Victorian Socialists, or any of those who are dealing with Glenn Drury, you can vote in confidence with that. If you vote for the others, well, have a good look at their group voting ticket, not just for your region, but across regions, you'll see it varies. Ours doesn't. Hmm. Ours is consistent right across the board. Hmm. Okay. All right. Too easy. Thank you for that, Greg. Um, good luck with next weekend. Um, hope hope we get a good result, a result that's good for Victoria and consequently good for Australia um, and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so yeah, anyway, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for spending time with me tonight. Cam, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can't, I can't be strong enough. Be very careful where your vote goes. Have a look at group voting tickets. Take the trouble. It's boring and it's difficult, but get on the VEC website. Have a look at group voting tickets of who you're thinking you might want to vote for in the upper house. See how they vary across regions. It's all to game the system. If they were honest, their preferences would flow exactly the same in every region. If they're dishonest, then they're gaming the system, they're feeding into Glenn Drury's corruption, and you could end up voting for someone you think is a one of the good guys, and you're actually voting for Rod Barton, mm. someone who you would never vote for in a fit. Mm. Yeah. Let's hope he's on the unemployment line come Sunday. Oh, look, that would, uh, <laughs> that would make... Make my day. If we could get rid of Daniel Andrews, I think we need to declare that a holiday. Yep. 26th of November become a Victorian holiday. And uh, if we can make sure Rod Barton's getting sent back to the taxis, then uh, that would be a great thing as well. Yeah. All right. All right. Too easy, Greg. Um, thank you. And, and as I said, um, all the best for the election on Saturday. Thank you, Ken. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. All right. See you later. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fifth Estate, the news behind the headlines. Until the next episode of The Fifth Estate releases, we'd love for you to leave a review wherever you go to for quality podcasts. And we'll keep holding those in power in check.